Anyone want to trade? <laughs> wow. Funny, our MC this morning said, uh, "Wrath, that's that's tough stuff to talk about." And my son goes, "Not for you." It's like. Yeah, uh, well, let's see what the Lord has for us. Let me ask God for help. God, I do pray that we would see you for who you are in your fullness. And uh, we get glimpses and we see dimly. Um, So help us in our weakness to see you, to worship you. Isaiah 63 is from you for us. It's for our joy. So take us there. Amen. Why do we go to church? Uh, I read an article this weekend that said, we go to church because we're forgetful, which I like the way they put it. So yeah, to remind one another of who we are. Hebrews 10.24 puts it this way, uh, to, to gather, to not forsake gathering, and to consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And that word stir can also be translated to provoke or to incite. So we're here to incite one another. And so we need that because we're dull. We're just dull to reality. Even yesterday, right, I'm lingering in this text and I'm thinking about the wrath of God and his trampling. <laughs> like, okay, that's because sin is so bad. But I don't feel that way. I know it. And sometimes I feel it, but I'm like, I didn't feel that bad. Why? Because our sin makes us dull. Right? So we're here to provoke, incite one another to wake up. Right? To not be so dull. Jesus says we must become like children to enter the kingdom. And I think part of that is this like vibrancy that they have that, that we've lost, this awakeness. I was walking into church last week, coming down, down the mall, and a couple of kids that were here early with the, with the band were out running around, and they saw me, and they ran and hid. Right? <laughs> not because of wrath, because they were playing, I think. Was it? Oh, my gosh. I, I completely missed <laughs> Wow. By the way, they're awake. Um, but anyway, they were playing hide and seek. And, you know, then I stopped behind the pillar and kind of played with them a little bit. And then I had to move on to real life. But there's this beauty there. Like, my elders never play hide and seek. Like, I show up to the elder meeting and they're all crouched under the table. Like, why not? Like, literally, why not? Yeah, because we're dull. So we're here to provoke one another, and Isaiah 63, it's provocative. We are here to remind one another whose we are and who we are, and it's really interesting, if you were here last week, what, what did we dwell on? That we're going to marry God, and it's this party and this pleasure, and this God is going to take his bride to the holy mountain and make her happy. Oh, what a vision of God. Next verse. He's trampling people. I mean, it's just, we read this text, but let's, let me just go through this a little bit and highlight some stuff. So there's this being coming from Edom and from Basra. Just, the point is this, there's this being walking, Isaiah says, and he says, who is this? And he sees his garments and he says, they're splendid. His splendid garments. Who is it? And it's God. It is I. Speaking in righteousness, mighty to save. That's God. Well, why are your garments red? And your garments like he 
who treads the winepress. I have trodden the winepress alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. I trod them in my anger, and I trampled them in my wrath. God is trampling people. Their blood spattered on my garments. And Isaiah says, your garments are splendid. I trampled, listen to this, verse 6. I trampled down the peoples in my anger, and I made them drunk in my wrath. What does that mean? They're senseless in wrath. Wow. This is the same God from Isaiah 62? Here's one of the things I would want to draw out for us today is this, is God is not half-hearted. He is not half-hearted. He will pleasure his bride, and he will trample his enemies. Every one of you is destined for one of two outcomes, to be pleasured by God or to be trampled by God. There are no half measures. He's all in. He's ferocious in love and war. He is for his bride. He will pursue her with hot fury and pleasure her. And that same strength of character and being and clarity will then be turned on the nations who don't repent and hide in Christ. He's not half-hearted. It is either ecstasy or horror. Remember in the book of Revelation when God says, he spits the lukewarm out of his mouth. Why? Because that's not how he is. He's hot. It's pleasure or trampling. So let's I'm going to draw some of this out, but let's be very clear here about who Jesus is, what he has done for us, why we worship him, continue to come back and circle our lives around him. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is the New Testament. Describing Jesus, this is Paul describing the work of God in Christ. For our sake, right, for the bride, for Isaiah 62, the bride he wants to pleasure, for our sake, for that joy that he's going to give us, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, the Son, to be sin, even though he knew no sin. So we're born sinners and deserve to be trampled. Jesus knew no sin, and does not deserve that, but for our sake, because God loves us, and so that we can partake in Isaiah 62, he trampled him. That's what we see on the cross. The Father trampling the Son. Why? So that in him, we might become the bride, the righteousness of God. Jesus got trampled so we don't have to. So yes, there's one of two Outcomes for every human before the face of God, pleasure or trampling. In Christ, we have pleasure. This is the one way. This is how we escape. Anyone who rejects Christ, anyone who disregards Christ will be trampled. And the language is just, why not just killed? Why not disregarded? Why not just cast out? It's very visual. I'm going to put you in a wine press. I was thinking about this yesterday. Okay, when you teach, you think of analogies, right? The analogies here, it's given to you. It's a wine press. And it's a trampling. And like all analogies, it breaks down. 
that's not, that's not enough. That's, does that sound horrifying? It's a shadow. It's just a shadow. It's not enough. So we, in Christ, we, we hide. There's this song, right? Rock of Ages, an old hymn. Describes this, right? So this is what we're singing about. Rock of Ages. Who is it? That's Jesus. He's the rock. Cleft for me. What does cleft mean? It's past tense of the word cleave. How do you cleave? With a cleaver. Rock of Ages hacked for me. Let's, let's put, make it fresh. He was hacked. Just hacked open. Why? So you could hide in there. From what? Wrath. You might, so this is imagery from the Old Testament when Moses says to God, show me your glory. And God's like, whew, there's a lot to me. Isaiah 62 and Isaiah 63, at least. So let me put you in the cleft of the rock so that as I pass by, you'll be safe. And that is a foreshadowing of Christ. That is, as we come to stand before God in all his ferociousness, we don't stand a chance unless we're hidden in the rock of ages. But then once we are, we're the bride. Rock of ages, hacked for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood, right, that's flowing out from thy wounded side which flowed, be of sin the double cure. So there's a double cure needed here. Save from wrath. That's this week. And make me pure. That's Isaiah 62. Oh, I'm not just going to be hidden and saved from wrath. I'm going to be transformed and made pure, right? Made splendid. Jesus is stunning. So one of the things I pray we see today is that God's wrath serves our joy. It's not like wrath this week, joy last week. Like This text is here for our joy. It's a passage in Revelation 18 that talks about the destruction of Babylon. Now Babylon in the Bible, right, right now we're studying Isaiah, we know that they were exiled, the Jews were exiled to Babylon, it was the world evil empire, and then they were brought back out of Babylon. But what happens is in the Bible, Babylon becomes the symbol of the systems of global evil and oppression. And so in the book of Revelation, when you see Babylon cast down, it means the entire global evil system is finally overcome and conquered and cast down. This describes the reaction of, of Babylon. They threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, for the great city, for in a single hour she has been laid waste. It won't take God long. And then the call comes to the church. So there you see it. You see the trampling of Babylon. How should you react? It says, Rejoice over her. O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, why? couple reasons. How does wrath serve our joy? Number one, it is a proper response to sin. 
We don't have the proper response, right? Even just reading this, sometimes we recoil at this and go, oh, I don't know, this is a bit much. I invited my friend today, and now he's up there talking about God trampling people. I don't know. We have improper responses because we've grown old, and we've sinned, and we're dull. We, we don't have integrity. We're not right in the head or the heart. Is there anyone who responds to sin properly? Is there anyone who's whole? Anyone pure? There he is in splendid apparel. That's why his apparel is splendid, because it's the proper response. Man, we do recoil at this. If they made a movie about this, we probably wouldn't let our kids watch it. Or we wouldn't watch it. But we have is this woman named Annie Dillard, and she's an author, and she talks about how Christians are not sufficiently sensible of conditions. Right? We are, some of what I've been saying, we're dull. But God is sufficiently sensible. He responds properly to sin. Here's a quote that that uh, phrase comes from. She says this, On the whole, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. That means in the catacombs they are. They're awake. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? So here we are at church. Oh, God, come. That should sober us because we do want him to come and pleasure us. But that's not all that's going to happen. That should break our hearts for the world and drive us forth on mission. Does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Or, as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? The churches are all children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. It's madness to wear ladies' straw hats and velvet hats to church. We should be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should lash us to our pews. Take note, hospitality team. You lashes. Why? For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense at how blithely we invoke him. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Man, these people that catch a glimpse of grandeur, right? That's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to provoke one another out of our slumber. We think we're just not that bad. And I was going to try to draw out and convince us of all our sin and all this and that, but I don't know. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to do that. I'll, I'll share one thing. Like, to me, the, what I always come back to is that we don't even love those that we love. Why did my son say that? Wrath's hard to talk about. Not for you. It's a joke. But they've also seen my wrath. And some of that, there's a healthy level where they should fear their fathers. There's an unhealthy level where that my reactions don't come from godliness and love, but from pettiness and smallness and brokenness. And I, I'm like, you remember in the Lord of the Rings when Bilbo, 
he had gone off, right, on his trek, and then he came back uh, to the land of the elves. I'm blanking. It's been so long. What's it called? And him and Frodo met again, and, and Bilbo seems fine. He's getting better. He's aging. But then he catches a glimpse of the ring, right, and he reaches out, and then he's ashamed of himself. And I think there's a power there that reveals what we're like. We seem fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine till you're triggered. And then, and it will be against those that you have promised to love, to be gentle with, to be tender with. Most of the time, we just, I'm fine. Not only that, we think we're de- we deserve things. We have entitlement, right? Not only am I not that bad, I deserve some things like health care or guns. Those are my rights. I deserve them. The scriptures tell us the only thing we deserve is to be trampled. Now, for clarity's sake, we don't have the right to trample people. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Okay, so we're not God. But the default posture of the human is what they deserve, what we deserve is to be trampled. Just look around and, and ask, does the world believe that? No, what would that create? It would create a spirit of fear, of crying out, of humility, of trepidation. Like, no, instead of it's raging in the streets because we are entitled. But here's someone who's not like me. He doesn't think sin isn't that bad. He's, he's not half-hearted. He's, he's full-hearted. Don't you want that? I was hearing about a, a young lady recently who's been, like, online dating type thing, you know, looking for guys. And she said, I just want someone who cares about something. You're into kayaking? And <laughs> kayaking and medium roast? Like, come on, dude. <laughs> now, it's fine. It's a joke. You know, you're being a kayaking. But the point is, sometimes she digs behind there, and that's all there is. Just a medium Dude. She wants someone with fire to love and fire to hate what's worth being hated. It's just dudes. Well, that's all of us. But here's one with fire. Oh, with the proper response to sin. Wow. He is sufficiently sensible of conditions. He's awake, aware, alive. Not only is it not our place to execute vengeance, we don't have the heart for it. Listen to this. I looked, but there was no one to help. This is verse 5. I was appalled, but there was no one to uphold. So my own arm brought me salvation. My wrath upheld me. Because that's hard work. We We don't even have the passion to bring justice to the world, even if it was our call. We'd tire out. We'd make friends with sin. We'd get get going, and three days later, we're just part of the world. But what sustains God for that work? His wrath. His holy fury against sin is a power that keeps him focused. So, number one, it serves our joy because it is the proper response to sin. He is the model, and we need to ask God to give us that in our hearts Right? Not, the, not a 
trampling, that's not ours, but a trembling. Number two, he's defending, <coughs> excuse me, he's defending his bride. So when, when you become a Christian, when you're not a Christian, before you're a Christian, you are part of the systems of the world. You're part of Babylon. You're a citizen of Babylon. You become a Christian, you become a citizen of Zion, right? The bride in Christ. And you're enemies of the world. Right? Sometime, in, depending on history and what culture you live in, it's going to be more obvious than others. We've lived in a confusing time here. Some places it's becoming very clear. The church and the world are at odds. And the church suffers greatly under that. And so there's this, this is what's happening in, in Revelation 18, is that God comes and destroys Babylon and defends his bride. And that's why he looks to his bride and says, rejoice. I have fought for you. There's this scene, I won't name the movie because I don't want you kids or adults looking it up. <laughs> and you'll judge me. Well, you're about to judge me anyway. <laughs> The movie's about a girl who's vulnerable, a mom and a kid, and her, she's in this crime world, basically, and she's vulnerable. She's going to be threatened to be killed, harmed, kidnapped, just, just the worst, and her kids are in danger. She's alone. A man comes along. He's kind of a criminal, too, but he takes her, and he defends her. And there's this scene in this elevator. They walk into this elevator, him and her, and... The door closes, and they realize the enemy's right there, and he has, he has a gun. So what do you do? So what he does, he sees it. He's aware. He's awake. And he reaches to her, pulls her behind him. And then there's this, this kind of like out-of-this-world scene where the, the light shines on her, and he turns, and he kisses her. She's the bride. And then he turns around, and he tramples the guy. He tramples him. Now, some of you are going like, whoa, that's, why are you watching that? I'm like, oh, you know what it reminded me of? The Bible. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, his bride. And then he tramp, ferociously tramples this guy such that even the lady kind of is like, oh. She kind of steps out of the elevator and she's looking at him like, wow. Right. This is stunning. Isaiah 62, you're my bride. I delight in you. I will kiss you. I will shine a light on you. And it will be clear that you are mine. And I will trample the nations. Tread the winepress of the wrath of God. And I think we should be able to like, oh. But it's also in our defense. It's a safety. God fights for us. The other thing is that the, the other way that wrath serves our joy is that it, the alternative, the wrath, makes the wedding sweeter. So there's Isaiah 62. Oh, man, great. We're with God. It's a wedding feast and love and peace and intimacy. Well, what's the alternative? Isaiah 63. Oh. <laughs> it's not just like either that or just the American life. No, no, no. Right? There are no half measures here. And that's what we deserve in and of ourselves. We're not better than the world. 
We've just been hidden Christ. Right? There but, but for the grace of God go I. Wow. Isaiah 63 is what we've been spared from. Jonathan Edwards puts, puts it this way, and he is no dull man. Some of you know of him because of his writings on wrath, right? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. But also you should get to know him in his writings on pleasure. He has gone strongly in both directions. And I want to tell you that's not a coincidence. That's how it works. That's why I'm wanting to boldly lead us into Isaiah 63 and the wrath because I think it leads us into the joy. Like if sin is no big deal, then grace is no big deal. What have we been saved from? Loneliness. Trampling by God. That's so ferocious. Also in the book of Revelation, the son of man comes to trample the nations and the, and the nations cry out for rocks to fall on their head. Why? That would be better. What would you prefer? Just a rock falling on your head and you die or a living, conscious, ferocious being trampling you to death? Except you never die. This is what we've been spared from. Jonathan Edwards puts it this way. He's, this is from a sermon on Revelation 18. He says this. It, the destruction of Babylon, the trampling of sinners, will occasion, cause, rejoicing in them, the church. The destruction of Babylon will cause joy in the church. Why? As they will have a greater sense of their own happiness. By seeing the contrary misery. It is the nature of pleasure and pain of happiness and misery, greatly to heighten the sense of each other. Contrast. Thus, seeing the happiness of others tends to men, make men more sensible of their own calamities. Right? If you're, let's say your wife left you. And then you see that couple out on a date. What happens? Oh. The opposite. What happens when you sit with that man whose wife left him? And then you go home and see your bride. See, they work together. When the saints in glory, therefore, shall see the doleful, mournful state of the damned, how this will heighten their sense of the blessedness of their own state, so exceedingly different from that. Wow. So different. And what, what God is doing to us and for us, it's so different from that. When they shall see how miserable others of their fellow creatures are, who were naturally in the same circumstances with themselves, right? We're not any different. We just hid in Christ. When they shall see the smoke of their torment and the raging of the flames of their burning and hear the dolorous shrieks and cries and consider that they, in the meantime, are in the most blissful state and shall surely be in it to all eternity, how they will rejoice. This will give them a joyful sense of the grace and love of God to them. Because hereby they will see how great a benefit they have by it. When they shall see the dreadful miseries of the damned, 
and consider that they deserved the same misery and that it was sovereign grace. So God's freely given grace and nothing else, right? Nothing we did or add that made us so much to differ from the damned. That if it had not been for that, sovereign grace, we would have been in the same condition. But that God from all eternity was pleased to set his love upon them and that Christ laid down his life for them, was trampled for them, and hath made them thus gloriously happy forever. Oh, how they will admire the dying love of Christ. Do you admire the dying love of Christ? We've gotten started. We're getting warmed up. Who has redeemed us from such great a misery and purchased for them such great a happiness and has so distinguished them from others of their fellow creatures. How joyfully they will sing to God and the Lamb when they behold this. all I have. Let me invite the response team up. And uh, yeah, ask the Spirit to come and reveal things. Yeah, let me pray. God, thank you for revealing yourself. Pray your Spirit would open the eyes of our hearts to help us see the fullness of who you are. Help us to not belittle you, make you in our image that would not serve your glory or our joy. Show us on the cross the wrath poured out on him for us and help us to admire the dying love of Christ. Amen. So, yeah, as a response, we'll, we'll sing, <laughs> rejoice, sing after Isaiah 63. And we'll take communion. So, communion is the time to remember this is where Christ was trampled. That's the whole point. It's where he was trampled on our behalf. We are spared and where we are hidden in him by grace through faith. So, if you're not a Christian... I invite you to hide in Christ. And what, what would that look like? Just cry out to him. Thank him. And then come and eat. If you are a Christian, come and eat again and remember what you've been spared from and what you've been brought to. So we'll eat together. There's uh, communion cups and gluten-free options as well over here in Cedar Rapids up front, Cedar Falls. Otherwise, we'll have servers up front. Amen.